0: I'm here with James Harris, who's a writer. He he writes the Stiff Upper Quick newsletter, which I I quite enjoy. James, and in various other publications. Glad you could join us. Yeah, it's a ter- it's a total pleasure. Yeah, I hope you're well. Yeah, doing good. So we I, I came across a piece you wrote in Capex, which is the the publication of the Center for Policy Studies. I think I'm right in saying, yeah, a think tank, yeah. uh, and you write about politics and. Sport and culture and comedy and and I enjoy the intersection of all those themes but particularly you wrote about how the sports washing playbook has played out and some of your views on it and and I piqued my interest because I think it's interesting to have voices from beyond just pure football fans like me who are saying no this doesn't work for us so anyway interesting Tell us about yourself and uh, I feel like I've given you a long introduction there.
1: No, no, it's great. I love I love a long in they make me feel quite distinguished. Which which is which is rare. So no, it's um it's interesting because I do I do largely write about politics and particularly because I find writing about politics quite tiring. When I when I tend to come to someone else, it tends to be about politics. I write for CapEx quite regularly. It is a, a policy think tank, centre right think tank. But I was surprised that the editor was so enthusiastic about the idea of a piece about sports washing. Uh, And I think that's something which is probably quite relevant because football is really, really popular in this country. I mean, not just in this country, but it it is a huge thing. Mm -hmm. And one of the points I was trying to make in this piece was for for a lot of football fans, this is really going to be the only time they seriously interact with politics around these kinds of sports watching issue. They they aren't people like me who are politics nerds whose idea of heaven is like Friday morning after there's been an election and going through Twitter finding out some obscure district in Sunderland and what it means for the local council in Sunderland. That is that is not as popular uh, a way to spend your free time as watching football. And right. I like watching football as well but if you're both a politics nerd and a and a football fan and I have been a football fan for decades now one thing i really feel is that the language of football fans because they haven't got this political view of the world which is fair enough no there's no there's no compulsion to be interested in politics i don't think it's always a good sign when people are very interested in politics. It's often a sign that things aren't going very well in your society if everyone is hugely politicized. But I really feel that football fans lack any kind of language to think about this stuff politically. And I'm not, I'm sure, yeah, I mean, obviously yourself and, and other people around it, there are people who are concerned about some of the issues which have arisen. And there are fan bases which are more involved in politics and others, particularly issues which are limited to football but these issues aren't just limited to football these aren't stuff just like st- safe standing or ticket prices this is right. much much bigger than than a footballing context and i really feel that that puts a, quite a lot of importance on these issues if, it, if this is going to be the extent of a lot of people's involvement with geopolitics yeah. how it affects how it affects their football club So I I wrote that piece, I have written about football before I published it last week, and it has had quite a big echo. The people I'd really like to read it are kind of football journalists. There are football journalists working on this stuff, people like Miguel Delaney, who I'm sure you know, and and, 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 and other people, trying to get them to share it. But I think, think, yeah, I, I just really, what catalyzed it to kind of write it was the coverage of the Champions League final.
0: Yes, yeah. Yes, which was incredibly sycophantic and and you really have to engage in some very strong cognitive dissonance to to not engage with the why Manchester City uh so so successful. It's just uh just the, the magical nature of Pep Gualiado's management and the brilliant players, of course, and nothing to do with the piles of state money. Yeah. They don't necessarily have the right language to to talk about this and i and, and i'm kind of mindful that i wouldn't want to lump all football fans to be, be one homogenous group because of course there's a wide spectrum of people as there are in society but i i do think it's true and and the the language around football is that of football and i yeah. think we've even even now talking about say sports washing it's not a very nuanced term and and the playbook what Abu Dhabi wants to achieve with city what Saudi Arabia wants to achieve with Newcastle and what Qatar wants to achieve with Manchester United, uh, much it's much deeper than just the PR aspects of it. And so even when we have the language to talk about these issues, it's not nuanced enough to really get to the breadth and depth of what's going on. And, and I think that was a an a kind of important point that you brought up. And, and the people that cover football, football journalists, don't have the language either or are exhausted by it. I mean Miguel Delaney was literally accosted at the Champions League final physically really? because of what he uh, he writes about Manchester City and Newcastle and manchester united and and so it's it's yeah it's a challenging topic to to bring up and have these conversations so
1: yeah and i think I think what I've noticed as well is that this was something which happened to me, which I talk about at the start of the article. I didn't watch the World Cup. I, 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 I didn't make a fuss of it, but the reason I didn't watch it is because I don't enjoy like a spectacle which has been put on to make an authoritarian regime look good. That's, that's not something I enjoy participating in. I love football, but you know, I can watch, I can go and watch like Dulwich Hamlets and there isn't, there isn't an ethical concern right. <laughs> of that level. Like if I like football, I like the game of football. I don't necessarily, I can, I get that is available to me in a lot of different flavors. And obviously it's my, my own country and I'm half Welsh. It was the first time Wales had played uh, in a world cup in a, in a very long time. As my dad used to joke, he, he hadn't seen Wales lose at a world cup since 1958, which was a <laughs> over 40 year unbeaten record, right? So pretty, pretty good. He has now seen right. Wales lose quite a lot at a world cup. So. But it wasn't a big thing for me to kind of make anything out of it. I didn't expect any kind of social credit for it or anything like that. It was a a private thing which I wasn't comfortable with because I wasn't going to enjoy it. And I mentioned that to someone at a birthday party, a football fan, who was going that evening to watch, I'm not even sure it was an England game, it was a Saturday night game in the World Cup. It was the day when I know that Morocco beat Portugal, I think, the 1-0 game. I was aware of the scores, obviously. And I mentioned that I wasn't going to come along and watch the game. And he went crazy. He was really angry with me that, mm. that I wasn't watching. And he said, you can make your little moral stand and it doesn't change anything sort of thing. And, and that was really a moment where I crystallized. The problem is that most people will want to find a way to go on enjoying their, their football in yes. one way or another, right? Because it's fun and life is stressful and busy. And why would you want to make a fun part of life, like watching a game at the end of the week, any more difficult than, than it would be? And obviously, international tournaments are great because you can go out, you can drink, have a lot of fun, and they're often played at warm times of the year. The last yeah. one was an exception. But, and I just thought, well, the problem is that in order to do that now, you have to make excuses for some horrendous stuff. And that means yeah. that there's just this really powerful element of cynicism which is being put into English football, which doesn't have, I mean, it's obviously in other countries as well PSG and stuff like that. It doesn't have, have to be, be like that. But it was just, it was just, he was more angry with me for raising it than he was about the state of affairs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I I'll just make one more connection on this. It really reminded me, I, I used to be really active in like radical left politics, like Trotsky politics and stuff. It really reminded me of the kind of like anti imperialists who would be like, Oh, we well, can't say anything about Russia because America is bad. Yeah, it was it's that mentality of complete cynicism. Yes, and yeah, yeah. I, I really don't think that's a mentality we should be encouraging ourselves yeah. to have about like something fun like football.
0: It's interesting you bring that up because I've certainly noticed that raising these issues during the World Cup and during this bid process. I have been called an imperialist and a racist quite often and and frequently, which was kind of interesting for me, of someone who's been in, interested in and engaged to a more limited extent in in left wing politics over the years, and and that's fairly frequent pushback or or something along the lines of, well, Britain's imperial past is horrendous. You don't have the right to say this, and and I find myself almost agreeing with that. Actually, I was like, yeah, I mean, yeah. Britain's imperial past is absolutely horrendous, and and Britain's imperialism today is pretty horrendous too. But but that's a different thing than abusive monarchies owning football clubs today. And I know it feels like the same issue, but it's kind of separate. But you're right; that cynicism has creaked in deeply, and it and it gives people the kind of thought space to to disengage from the political aspect of of why these regimes might want to own football clubs and say, yeah, oh, like, you know, yeah. everyone's as bad as each other, so why do I... Well, well, well
1: I, in fact, this fan who was arguing me he said he, his next point was, well, are you going to boycott the World Cup in the USA? Mm-hmm. And let's just, all right, let's keep it to the football. Are people going to die building the stadiums in the USA? I, I, I doubt that they will. So even if we just we can't just like shut all the football aspect out of it at one point and then widen it another. Okay, it's just about football for you. Okay, let's judge it on the basis of football. We've had migrant workers treated appallingly for that World Cup. Will they enjoy better conditions in the states? Yes, they will. And I think if there are better condi- if there are similar abuses, it will be at least easier to get some kind of open coverage of them when they're when they're occurring yeah. in the in. in so this stuff is a, a a question of degree now if then we're going to do it into a critique of wider foreign policy if we're going to then bring that element back in for all its faults or whatever the world cup in us in the usa will not be a tool of american foreign policy in the same way it right, cr- yeah. clearly is for a very 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 small country yeah. like qatar where where a large so so so, so that's the, that's the trick which being pulled. We can view it on a football basis, and there's serious ethical concerns. Okay, well, we'll look in a wider picture, and there's also serious ethical concerns. So there's no real way a, away from this thing uh, yeah, yeah. Be, being deeply tricky.
0: Because I, I live in the States now. and, and D- Do you? Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So I, I moved yeah. to the US uh, two and a half years ago. And, yeah. and uh, of course, I, I kind of understood American politics from afar, but... Living day to day here, I I very much understand the the difficulties, Um, and and we can, and I believe that things like American gun culture and American healthcare are human rights abuses. Basically, it's absolutely horrendous. But the the tie to owning sports and using sport as a as foreign policy tool is is much 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 more tenuous. And the 26th World Cup for all America's faults, and foreign policy is conducted through. A massive military, basically. Yeah, the 26 World Cup will be a commercial entity. Yeah, uh, and there will be people making a lot of money out of it, including FIFA, but a lot of private enterprise on the ground doing it. And so it'll happen for very, very different reasons. And and this kind of conflation of these issues, in order to Steve Bannon likes to say, flood the zone with shit and and confuse us all. It seems to happen. It feels to me like part of the playbook. Um, yeah, and of course
1: sports, the the 2026 World Cup does have the chance, like the 94 World Cup, of Diana Ross taking a penalty, which none of oh, us Oh, please, what? please no, repeat she. It, she yeah. I mean, she's still with us, so she missed last time. So they, they've really got to bring her back and top corner this time, please, Diana.
0: If Ross doesn't make it to 26, who, who should do Taylor Swift? Who, who Who's the Diana Ross of 2026? <laughs> It's a good point, but
1: we've lost in the intervening World Cup. We've lost a lot of that great generation of soul singers, and we like yeah. Tina Turner and people like that. So uh, I don't know. I mean, Al Green, maybe I could see Al Green uh, bringing life? up. He is, yeah, the Reverend Al Green, yeah, thrashing one top corner. Anyway, I, I have brought this somewhat off the point with the need to make a joke, but yeah, I don't see the 2026 World Cup as comparable. And obviously, the other thing which I think you sort of alluded to in your earlier point. And this is, again, the language of football being completely overtaxed to discuss these things. These sporting events are happening in part because of rivalry between these countries within the yep. Gulf. And I think it's a North American World Cup, isn't it, with Canada and Mexico, and Mexico involved? Yeah. So, again, it's not playing the same role there as like an intra interstate rivalry. It's actually trying to unite a kind of North American footballing public by having it in all their countries. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I mean it's it's one of the the topics I discussed with Nicholas Ian from Fair Square earlier this year about the rivalry rivalry between the the blockade countries in the Gulf. And while it may not be playing out in quite the same way as the blockade did, now it, the the geopolitical aspect of of what is happening with Premier League ownership is definitely there. I mean, remember, we are only six years away from Saudi Arabia having drawn up plans to invade Qatar, as is kind of widely understood now. It was on the cards; could have happened. And I just just imagine what might play out in the um, in the Twitter sphere if Manchester United, Manchester City, and Newcastle fans were literally at war. I jest, but these are serious issues, and and you know we we often hear the phrase and "I'm being tried." like keep politics out of football politics and football are have always been intertwined but never as tightly as this
1: yeah and of course when when these countries um when states buy football clubs it's not the people who raise the point who are doing the politicization it's it's the act of the purchasing which is the politicization yes correct and and, and that's like a, and that is probably the it's one of those arguments which has a kind of superficial level of intelligence to it just to keep politics out of football, but it actually just masks the lack of desire to engage with with the politics, and it's just an opt-out. And that really did reach some kind of apex at that Champions League final where where we were being asked as viewers to, it wasn't even that there was a minute of just a little bit of reflection or a little moment where we could say it didn't even need to take any side, but just to say, obviously for some football fans, this will be difficult to take or there are concerns, just to acknowledge the context in which the game was happening. But I felt that as a viewer, I was being asked to kind of actually condone what what was, what was going on. And that's a step too far for me because I do know what's going on. And we all have our individual choices as to whether we continue to engage with it. Uh, But if you're going to make the act of engaging for for it like itself, like an ideological act by me to kind of pretend that somehow Man City, Man City, the team I remember being like a likable bunch of screw-ups throughout (laughs) my entire, somehow the biggest team in Europe, as if that has kind of fallen from the sky. I mean, my joke was, yes, City should go in the Champions League final, but they have to play Sean Goethe up front. But I mean, Sean Goethe now at the age of like 56. <laughs> that would have been
0: special, yeah. yeah. Well, if
1: they want to get the soft power back, I mean, that's the that's the way to do <laughs> it. Leveling right?
0: the play- f- playing field, yeah. It, it's interesting you bring up the, the coverage again, because, again, living in the States, coverage here was by Fox. Uh, and they they weren't going to have, I mentioned this on the pod before, they weren't going to have a a sort of in-situ set in Doha. But they did, in the end, it was paid for by the Qatari authorities and fully branded and sponsored. And as a a result, they didn't even need to really play the classic journalist sport-watching playbook, which is, in order to get access, journalists' sycophants, here it was bought and paid for. And it was incredible coverage watching it. I I didn't boycott the World Cup, and I, I hated almost all of it but I still watched it because I had to watch it because I'm addicted to football and but the the coverage you wouldn't believe there were any issues at all and and that was to a massively growing football market with huge audiences and um and it was deeply kind of disturbing how easy it is to do that
1: Yeah. And I think in the in the particular instance, I mean, what was what was particularly galling is that in that very week, we had a story in English football of a of a underdog club winning a trophy. And we had West Ham. And by comparison, by European standards, the West Ham budget is very large. They are in financial terms, a big club with a big stadium, but they haven't won a trophy in 43 years they they have an incredibly loyal and very local fan base and they do genuinely engage pretty well with their community and that that kind of really positive celebrations headed by David Moyes who'd never won anything and had had a horrible time at Manchester United that is what a good positive football story looks like i'm sure there are aspects of west ham which are gazumping other clubs for players which aren't which are still kind of big club mentality But it wasn't necessary for me to enjoy that game, to have it sport by that level of ethical concern. So we're not Mm -hmm. talking about an extremely strict level of morality, which kind of rules out enjoying any kind of football. It's just that as a football fan of a long time and many, I can recognize what is basically something really, really dubious. And that, that, that is not a particularly high bar, but more and more of football is not getting, getting over that bar, you know? Yeah. So
0: I was interested in in the fact that it was the Capex that you wrote in, and and Centre for Policy Studies is of the centre right, and it is a it is a Tory government that has introduced the, the the framework for the football regulator, but it doesn't include anything around state ownership. And I mean, one it's interesting that it was a Tory MP, Tracy Crouch, who led that fan review, and and a, a, a Tory government that's introduced this legislation. Uh, because the Labour government promised it before the last two elections and obviously didn't win or a Labour party promised some kind of regulation or fan involvement so like two questions there one is you're surprised that it's this government that is uh, attempting to regulate football What, what do you think about the seriousness of that and and why doesn't it include questions around ownership if this is on top of mind of fans and is having a a particularly large impact on this
1: particular market. Um, I don't have very developed thoughts on that. I would say that that part of what this period of of Tory kind of appeal to the kind of north of England and the Red Wall and stuff has kind of getting football has been quite a big part of that. Mm. And when when the Super League proposal came along, Boris Johnson was pretty out in front opposing that. I mean, that's veered into kind of being quite patronizing at some times. But there has been an understanding of football as popular as something people in kind of working class seats in the north like. So that, I mean, that's as much of a kind of answer as why they've introduced it. I haven't really, I know they they have brought the safe standing thing forward quite a bit, which was again a a manifesto promise, which they've actually, which they've actually done. So that's good. And then in terms of why the state ownership, I mean, I think there's been an idea on the right for quite a long time called Wimbledonization. Do you know that concept? Wimbledonization. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, basically, and it's quite pro because I live, I live quite near Wimbledon. Yeah. Basically, the idea is, and it was very much in the years when apart from Andy Murray, nobody from Britain ever really did anything at Wimbledon. But the idea was, well, it doesn't really matter. Because Wimbledon's still great, so the fact right. that the fact that it doesn't really have any true local connection beyond a couple of kind of players going out in the third round isn't isn't really too much of an issue. And I think there's been that mentality with the Premier League as well, hasn't there? Yeah, that yeah. It, it's the best show on earth, so who cares where where the money comes right. from? Yes, but the it, I suppose the point I'm at with it is I'm no longer enjoying the show because you're you you hired murderers and terrible people as the stage managers and every time every time i mention it you're getting the audience to boo me (laughs) so yeah i I like the
0: analogy yeah yeah but the government was we now know highly involved with the saudi arabia takeover of of newcastle in fact pushed for it to happen because the johnson government felt that it may damage the relationship with saudi arabia if this was somehow blocked and and we also now know and suspected at the time that the Premier League were only blocking it because of the the rights violations with beat out Q, the piracy channel in Saudi Arabia, and nothing to do with the sort of moral questions around human rights. And and so I suspect, don't know, we'll find out that, that similar questions are being asked of the potential Qatari takeover of Manchester United because Qatari um, and how natural you... gas is important import. So
1: and how would you respond? I mean, I mean, you're you're a United fan, so obviously, I think yeah. it would be pretty 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 awful for you, right?
0: I mean, it's why it's why I quote unquote bang on about this on Twitter and uh, in my newsletter and on this podcast because I, I think it is a a very deep question about my personal moral and ethical standards, but also for football more generally. So, and we, we look, we deal with this kind of stuff all the time. It's not like I'm divorced from capitalism. I, I own stuff that's probably been built by slave labor. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. an iPhone, cobalt mines in, in Africa, as people like to tell me all the time, I drive a car that uses mm-hmm. petrol that has been dug out of the ground, probably by some horribly abusive regime. So all these things, uh, yeah, I can't divorce myself from all of this. It's impossible. I have to live. But I choose to support a football club and have done for some time, and it's I feel it's an important social institution beyond just being any other entertainment business. And the idea that in the case of Qatar, an abusive autocratic monarchy that couldn't give a crap about migrant labor, who are some of the poorest people on earth, should not be able to use Manchester United, a club that doesn't need that kind of financial input from the state to be successful should should be able to use this club 150 year old institution for its own foreign policy and public relations aims I just think it's morally and ethically wrong and I'm already deeply disappointed by the reaction of Manchester United fans not just the kind of the Twitter sphere, which is like the widest range of people you could possibly imagine from people who will never never ever go to Old Trafford to people who go every week and so but also Loud voices are prominent in the community. Protest groups, podcasters, YouTubers, fanzine editors who have already fallen into line and already uh, demonstrating the kind of cognitive dissonance that we saw at City and Newcastle. And I kind of know where the playbook goes from there. And that's really, really disappointing, I have to say, already. And I'm asked frequently, like, are you going to keep supporting United? And I don't know what the answer to that question is, really. I read an interesting piece by a Newcastle fan yesterday who said it was explaining why he walked away after decades of being a season ticket holder. So it's a difficult one that because much like you and, and watching the World Cup, I couldn't possibly watch a United fan, uh, match and, and disengage from the kind of what's happening behind the scenes. It would feel every goal would feel a little bit plastic as a result. So And I know other United fans who feel like that
1: as well. It's just not the majority. Yeah, I, I wouldn't think it, I wouldn't think it would be the majority. The problem is that football fans are loyal. And if, if a, if a consumer base is loyal and to, I mean, consumer base is the wrong term. A fan base is loyal. Yeah. And football fans are loyal in a peculiar way because we're, we're, we're also loyal in a way that having been there in the shit times and having been there when things are bad is, is, a, is a badge of honor. Correct, uh, you know, Or yeah. yeah. remembering players we who were this. terrible. Yeah. We deserve this. Yeah. So in the to quote the apocryphal New, Newcastle fan, this was mentioned on Twitter, he said, I don't care if Hitler owns us if we have a bit more success now because we've we we've, we've we've earned it and Newcastle Newcastle have a very, very rich, rich country, a uh, history. But the thing is, yeah. you know, that loyalty exists for you, but it doesn't mean other people can't exploit it. And, and use it and use that loyalty for their own purposes. So you have to, you have to think about, okay, if you're in that kind of relationship where people can screw you over and exploit your loyalty, is, 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 is that still a positive? I mean, I think loyalty is a virtue, but, but like any virtue, it can be, it can be exploited. Teams have won things before Manchester City won the European cup winners cup in 1970. And we didn't have to have a discussion about executing children. OK, we didn't we didn't have to have these kinds of discussions. They are not innate to football. If different mm-hmm. people own these clubs, different people, they they can be very, very wealthy people. OK, there are there are owners who are extremely rich, but have made their money in ways which aren't like linked up with state power in this way. We can still have the great football. It's not as if if Jack Grealish is still going to be a brilliant player if he's playing for someone else with different owners it's it, it's the people who bought these clubs who've created this situation it's not the fault of fans who who yeah. are re- uh, reacting to them it's not their fault their loyalty is being abused
0: yeah i know i fully agree with that and, and as a as a result of that point i have deliberately avoided calling out specific people in the community yeah i will respond to people who who on twitter and it's mainly on twitter but also also in my email box that, uh, that will make the obvious pushbacks, right? And I, I will engage with them as if they are good faith actors and they just have a point of view. I don't always necessarily believe they are good faith actors because I think a lot of the same points are very template from John Smith164298 on Twitter. Yeah. I think I know him.
1: I know him as well. But...
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Who has the Qatari flag and the image Doha is his banner? It's, it's interesting. Yeah. But but yeah, look, I totally understand why people would tie themselves up in knots. They want to support their club. They don't want to lose that. They probably, like me, been a fan for decades, invested time, money, effort, relationships in going to, to football, believing in it, it being such an important part of their life. It's the most important, meaningless thing in our lives, right, for for many of us. Um, So I, I totally understand why they'd tie themselves up in knots and they would they would kind of not want to engage with these issues. But at the same time, I think if you're, you're a voice and you don't use it, that to me feels disingenuous, right? So I do separate like kind of ordinary fans from people who've got a platform for whatever reason. And But and yeah. for, for me, I feel like I have to say something and engage with this. That's not going to be for everyone. But these issues are not going away.
1: Yeah, and I think it's different for younger fans and older fans as well because, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm older than you, but I can remember really enjoying football and not having these kinds of questions to deal with as well. And I can still do that because I go and watch quite a lot of lower league football. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I go and see AFC Wimbledon, who are a club with a kind of model of joint ownership and reacting to, you know, they they crowdfunded their own stadium, apparently. So, yeah. And I, I enjoy that a lot as a day out, and I get all the social aspects of football I enjoy and I don't have to feel like I kind of need it feel a bit icky afterwards as I did after watching the the Champions League final so I want I want people to, so even if I in my capacity have very limited ability to affect these things what I want for us all is to have the football experience but without these kinds of concerns
0: yeah I, I agree I like you I am um, so I sorry, all right. Listeners will know i now live in seattle i go to a local club not sounders it's terrible awful atmosphere and a plastic pitch literally plastic pitch sorry if there are, i doubt there's a single sounders fan listening to this but it's just not a great experience
1: but the um, portland fans will love it right
0: but the portland fans will love it yeah the, the two of them uh randomly tuned in uh, <laughs> But I, uh, by 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 the way, uh, just as an aside, very very engaged politically engaged supporter base at Sounders who push back against their principal sponsor for being, uh, let's say, uh, ambiguous on their uh, policy towards women's uh, productive rights. So politically engaged, but I just don't like the atmosphere there. But I have been going to sort of a hyper local club, which is basically the fourth tier of American soccer. But you can drink a beer and. Watch the game and it's probably like university, non-league standard type stuff. It's not awesome, but there's a it's a local club. They're very engaged with their supporters, hyper-local supporters. They're a big supporter of the local food bank and all of that kind of local, local stuff. It's just not the buzz of a big, big Manchester United final where it, everything is on the line. Uh, and you're just tight, your stomachs in knots because you know you're more terrified of losing than you're looking forward to winning, and then you win it in the last minute, or whatever. Right? You can't replicate that buzz. So that's the thing. That that's the thing that will disappear because that buzz will be impossible, knowing that the buzz is there to be exploited by the new owners. So Manchester City winning. I made this point on the last pod. Manchester City winning was a political moment. Because the president of the country, Bin Zayed, was there, sat next to the owner of Manchester City, who's absolutely in no way a state actor at all, honest gov, right? At the same at the World Cup, it became a political moment with a presentation ceremony. And I have no doubt that if United are taken over, the $6 billion pounds investment will be used to gain a return and it won't be the financial return that is being sought there and these are the things that are really hard to kind of stomach
1: yeah i mean we're not i mean the one thing point i make in the argument as well is that i do think that within this fans underestimate the amount of influence they have and i mean this now i may be sentimentalizing this slightly but liverpool did have a situation with high ticket prices in I think it's quite a while ago now, it's like 2014 I think it happened, uh, when they walked out in a, in a in a home game where they were 2-0 up on Sunderland and it went, first of all it ended in the 2-2 draw which yeah. shows you that fans walking out immediately impacts on pitch performance as well and then a couple of days later FSG kind of backed down and stopped these ridiculous ticket price rises. Now, I appreciate that, as you've been saying, the fan bases are too fragmented for this kind of direct action about these issues. But if there was direct action, and obviously it couldn't just be we don't like you because that's not an effective political demand, but but some of these ethical issues about a game takes place in, in, in the week that some critics of the government of these countries are executed and there's a protest or a banner held up for these people and stuff. This, this these kinds of gestures would make an impact because they are buying 100%. you they are buying yeah. you for their image, so yes, if yeah, you yeah. are then holding up the bits of their image they don't want to show to the world uh then then that would really have an impact uh and I, just and yeah. i'm sure- I'm sure a walkout a mass walkout would have an impact too yeah now, i i it's been I'm, very yeah. very
0: hard to to create that kind of direct action at Manchester United in eighteen years of the glacier ownership very very hard and and really i only... mean. The Super League catalyzed that in a very visceral way. There's a break in our traffic, got the gaming as Liverpool called off. For the first time in, at the time, 17 years, Joel Glazer engaged with the fans. He turned up at a couple of fans forums, made a bunch of promises he didn't keep, and then used the uh, strategic review process to disengage from conversation with fans at all. But there was a hint of engagement, and that's just a business person you, Happened to be rich because his daddy made some money out of canning fish once upon a time, right? So yeah, I'd rather the,
1: be. I mean, I know the Glazers are terrible, but I'd rather be owned by canned fish people than oh god, gotcha, you know, yeah, you know, you know than an uh, abusive state, pe- pe- yeah, Petro-state so, money.
0: <laughs> yeah, oh for sure, hundred percent, right? And and this this is not a popular position with United fans. I mean the the fact that Jim Ratcliffe has seemingly reportedly given the Glazers a path, to retaining some shares. I doubt they would have any kind of operational influence. Has him been called rat with a rat emoji cliff on Twitter by some groups of hilarious supporters because this is so uh, unacceptable to them? And I kind of I understand the emotional nature of that, right? They Glazers have been terrible owners of the club, but don't think they've executed anyone, at least to the best of my knowledge. Uh, and, and so I think it's a different level of sucky owner altogether. But to get back to your original point, if United fans broke into Old Trafford and held up a, a banner saying LBGTQ rights in Qatar now, that would have an immediate impact. Immediate impact or release name of prison the political prisoner who had been disappeared, of which there are hundreds. It would have a very meaningful and visceral impact. I just... I can't see it happening. I can't see United fans organising for that. The main protest group now, group called 1958, have been, like, for the first time in 18 years, have managed to organise fans for regular, meaningful, direct action, visual protests. Blockaded the Megastore on the kit launch day yesterday, for example. They have been getting themselves tangled up with what a what a state bid might be. And to the point where they don't really have a spokesperson, but the people who have joined fan TV channels have said things like, oh, we don't really know who the bidders are, so we can't comment on it. We know who the bidders are and we know what the structure of it looks like. Or the, the slogan has now become full sale only. Well, that like there's a logical answer to what that means because the only offer on the table for a full sale is from the state of Qatar.
1: I suppose so, we have to we have to just start feeling a bit a bit sorry for Bahrain and all of this because it's going to be the only Gulf state which doesn't own anywhere, isn't it? Well, Dubai well, doesn't do, either. Yeah. But, okay. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. But they, they are the, call
0: uh, it. the the poorer stepchild of Abu Dhabi, aren't they? Dubai. They don't really have. The well, cash. they're over
1: the water from Qatar as well, aren't they? So they and so yeah, and t- tiny place, obviously. Um, but yeah. no, yeah. I mean, I, I obviously you can't coordinate effectively if you're divided on the central question. I do think that perhaps a fan base might be able to agree that disappearing someone or executing someone is a bad thing. I mean that, but but then it leads into this terrible cynicism of who are we? Yeah. Who are we to kind of criticize? You know.
0: Well, actually, I think what happens with that one is that people will say something along the lines of, "But well, it's a private bid; it's not a state bid." Mm. And, yeah. and then you have to get into an argument about why spending five percent of the gdp of a tiny country on a foreign assets in an abusive absolute monarchy might actually have to go through the monarch and you get into these kind of geopolitical yeah. questions that or name geopolitical like internal political questions which are very very hard to have a a, a meaningful discussion about we can do it in and, this and kind of format
1: yeah but yeah but and... you
0: can't in 140 characters on twitter can you so
1: you you can't and you can't really do it in a match report or in coverage of the business of football and that is what I think exactly that that is why I think our pundit class is really really struggling about this because they they did train and earn their stripes as football writers there's been some people who've written about it better than others I'd say Barney Roney's written about it quite well recently and mm-hmm. and but it's still at the end of the day it's a bit like going to review a movie and it's a ballet show it's it's you don't have the right language you don't have the the terminology because it's politics okay and and you need politics you need to be able to analyze corrupt authoritarian regimes who operate in a language which you don't speak and that is not something yeah. football fans can be expected to do but but the problem is because it's too much they get angry about 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 about, about that thing they get angry about what's being asked of them because they just want to go and enjoy some football. And that's the kind yeah. of trick trick of this whole thing.
0: Well, and they get angry because it's an attack on their tribe. And I'm saying there because I'm homogenizing all these people again, but it's attack on the tribe. So I started this as a blog in 2002. And obviously by 2005, the Glazers had taken over. And because I had a sort of business background, I, I felt pretty confident I knew what was going on with a, a leveraged buyout. But people were very angry with me. They, they said, you can't be a real United fan because they saw me as attacking the club and not the Glazers because the owners, the club and the team are all kind of rolled into one. And of course, that is the playbook. It wasn't the Glazers playbook. They were just shitty business people who saw an opportunity. But it is the state playbook. and And it's very hard to separate all these things. It's very hard for local media, especially because they need access and it's very hard for the fans who don't want their the thing that they love and cherish to be to be to be impinged upon by people who they see as as making negative comments about their team.
1: Yeah, and negative comments about their team, which is again this this problem of things being compared which aren't really comparable. I mean, yeah. This is just two completely different worlds. Pressing and ball retention is coming from a different world than absolutist monarchies fighting interest rate rivalries in the (laughs) goal. And and an interest in one does not necessitate an interest in the other. But you certainly can't compare these two fields because you can't be like, well, Kiri and Trippi has had a good season. It probably makes up for the three 12-year-olds who were uh, executed in Saudi Arabia. I mean, that's just a comparison from two such different metrics of things and i think it i think we all get horribly mixed up when we try and discuss these things at the same time all i can say is it makes me less able to enjoy the football the the, this wider kind of political con
0: all right on that note james very much appreciated Uh, if you haven't seen his or read his piece that kind of prompted me to reach out to you i will make sure i tweet it out and so you you get a chance to to read that what else are you writing these days well
1: what else am i writing? well i've got my novel which you should uh, yeah uh, it's 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 a quid for kindle on on amazon Uh, there's another ethical company but they are actually it's actually kind of hard as a self-publishing thing to do without them i'm writing my weekly newsletter stiff up a quip where where you're always welcome i should just say for a slightly optimistic note my dad is a lifelong rexham fan and and okay and their story is genuinely quite feel good. People yes. coming from the outside. So, so, I mean, I'm just really pleased because he's, he's into his eighties now and he's been a lifelong fan of Wales and Wrexham, which has been a tough gig as a supporter, yep. basically. But suddenly he's in this incredible era of success towards, towards the end of his, his days. And I think it's a great, a great thing for him that he's now got like, and, and, and he's, really connected to Wrexham and they are I mean I think I think Ryan Reynolds is even living in Wrexham now for some reason yeah Uh, and 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 they really are probably filming
0: the next season yeah
1: yeah they they they, well Deadpool to Welshpool right but they are they are really connecting with the people there in quite a quite a genuine way so I I have to say I was
0: I was disappointed that new Wrexham kit was not just a Deadpool kit that's what I wanted to see That's what we all want to see just make it happen. But no, good for make him, happen. good for Rexham. Yeah, uh, it's Wrexham. a great show, very entertaining. And it's 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 interesting, it has opened doors to to English football, British football here in the States as well. I mean the 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 culture of support of the Premier League is actually quite strong, much stronger than when I I mean I've I've been married to an American for uh, how many years now? Twelve years now, and I'm coming to the US for work for twenty and and 20 years ago, it was impossible to watch the Premier League, and no one gave a crap about soccer. And you were a weirdo if you wanted to talk about it. And now it's extremely popular. And I made fun of the MLS earlier, but someone, a club like the Sanders, gets 40,000 people to go and watch people uh, kick a ball around a plastic pitch.
1: So. Yeah, no, it's great, and the and it's clear from even from a distance that it's getting more and more popular in the state.
0: All right, James. Thank you very much. I enjoyed this yeah, conversation. Yeah, to-
1: total uh, pleasure to speak to you.
0: Take um, care, and
1: uh, give my love to the West Coast.
0: Uh, I shall. I shall do. Is the it West raining? Coast, is it
1: raining? It, no, it's bright it sunshine. It's beautiful. Okay. Well, the reputation yeah. is there always rains in Seattle.
0: It does solidly from October till June ish. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Unrelenting, but you know. Spot the, Briti- the, British, the British, this, the British, the British, the British guy, uh,
1: the Man United
0: fan that's brought the weather with complaining it. about the weather. Yeah, I can't do it, but uh, yeah, lovely today. Well, thanks a lot, James, and catch you later.